morning, everybody. Welcome if you are uh, visiting with us, or, or if you're not, I'll welcome you as well today. <laughs> uh, my name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're just really glad that we have this chance to get together and to worship uh, together. And then, as Laura was talking about, that we get this chance to serve the school this afternoon. So if you can stick around for that, that's great. And like she said, if you can't, we'd still love to have you join us for the potluck. So even if you didn't bring anything, I know that Minnesotans feel this like, well, I didn't bring anything, so I can't eat anything. We're going to be fine. So please stay, please eat, um, and hang out with us after service today. Uh, okay, so as Laura said, we have been in a series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, and we even got a chance to say it together as a church this morning. So we, it's something that we like to do once a month as a church is to say it, as Laura said, just because it is the words that Jesus taught us to pray. And we think there's value in kind of reminding ourselves of that, looking to it as a template, uh, and just saying it together as a congregation. And last week, I got to talk about what is probably our favorite part of the Lord's Prayer, if we're all being honest, which is the part where we get to ask God for our requests that give us this day our daily bread. And now this week, I get to talk about what's probably our least favorite part of the prayer, if we're being honest. And that's where we have to confess of our sin and ask for forgiveness uh, and also turn around and forgive others. And I was thinking about why is this a part that we kind of struggle with so much or that's like more difficult? And I was wondering if part of it is related to just being in the Midwest, right? Like you've heard the idea of Minnesota nice and how we don't really like to ruffle feathers, you know, we like to keep it kind of even. Um, and I was wondering if this applied to like forgiveness and conflict too, and not just Minnesota, because I grew up in Wisconsin and it's definitely a thing there too. And According to Urban Dictionary, one of the most reliable sources, uh, it is. They call it a Midwest apology. So in, according to Urban Dictionary, um, it's a Midwest tradition where sometime after drama, everyone is assumed to be forgiven and life resumes as normal. Anybody experienced that before living in Minnesota or in the Midwest? So this is definitely something we've all been guilty of probably. Um, and that is just kind of part of our culture, right? We don't like to deal with conflict. We don't like to bring things up. We'd really just prefer that after a while we all just stop talking about it and move on as if we have apologized and been forgiven. Um, but that's not what we see that Jesus calls us to. So today we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and look at how God calls us to handle forgiveness um, and reminding us that we need to be forgiven as well. So like I said, we're going to talk about the fourth petition fourth petition in the prayer, which is forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, or if you grew up in a Lutheran church, you might say it a little differently. I know this is the part of the prayer where everybody sort of stumbles like, oh no, which version are we going to say? Uh, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this one today. And like I talked about last week, context is really important in this prayer. So I'm going to read the, th the whole prayer again for us, even though I know we just read it as a church, but repetition is helpful. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So today we're going to look at that highlighted part, and we're going to look at, first, forgive us our debts. What does that mean? How do we um, go about praying that? And then this little second middle part that kind of tends to trip people up sometimes, the as we also. So how do these two different pieces of this petition work together? 
And then lastly, we're going to talk about what it looks like to forgive others and why sometimes we might struggle with that. What are some of the barriers we face? So again, we have to remember that these words that are the words that Jesus gave his disciples to pray, not just once, but often, uh, serves as a guide for how we might think about and construct our prayers. And it starts with acknowledging God as both a close relationship, a loving father who we can come to, and also holy and other and amazing, uh, someone that we should be in awe of. Then it asks for that God, the Holy Father, for his will and his kingdom to be done on earth. So there's a new way that things should look, right? There's a new kingdom that has come, and it's the way of God. It's this mixing of heaven, God's space, and his ways with our space, earth, And in order to see that happen, it says we need to rely on God for our daily needs, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Instead of trying to take things into our own hands and do everything uh, with our own resources or with our own ideas. And now we get into this part that seems to imply something, right? If we're instructed to ask for forgiveness from God, usually you ask for forgiveness when you've done something wrong, right? When you've fallen short in some area, You know, whether that's in a relationship or if you didn't follow through on something you said you were going to do, falling short, you usually ask for forgiveness. And Jesus seems to say that whenever we pray, we should be asking for forgiveness. So that seems to imply that we are always going to have some sin to repent of. And this might seem like, yeah, duh, but I think it's something to stop and think about. And for some people, Maybe it doesn't seem that obvious. Maybe it seems like a little bit of a stretch, right? You might think, I'm really not that bad of a person. Like, I don't know that I need to constantly be asking for forgiveness. Overall, I try to do good things, and I'm definitely not as bad as other people when you think about the comparison. So I don't know why I would need to ask for forgiveness constantly. Or maybe you've grown up in the church, and you've heard about sin. You've heard about how asking forgiveness is something we're all called to do. But you sort of have, like, let that slip to the back of your mind, right? Like, when you first started to become a follower of Jesus, you were really aware of your sin. Uh, You were really aware of your struggles. And maybe you had some big things that you felt like you really needed to overcome or, like, change your habits in different ways. But now you've kind of grown out of those things. And so maybe sin is something that you just don't think about all that often. You know you're a sinner, but maybe, you know, this idea of asking for forgiveness all the time is something that's sort of gone to the back burner. And yet, Jesus seems to say that both of those ways of looking at it are not in line with what uh, God's kingdom is. Jesus structures the prayer in a way that implies that we will always have sin to repent of. So why is that, and what does that look like? Uh, I like how Wesley Hill, who's an author uh, who's written a book on the Lord's Prayer, puts it. He says, For many of us, the word sin conjures up childhood memories of stealing a cookie when we were told not to, or of messages we heard in adolescence from youth pastors about the wickedness of sex. And yet, it would seem that Jesus expects even those who have been able to rise above certain bad habits, like stealing cookies or cheating on one's spouse, to go on praying, give us our sins. This suggests that what the Lord's Prayer is referring to is something deeper, wider, and more pervasive. And what he's getting at is really important here for our understanding of this prayer. The part of the Lord's Prayer that asks for forgiveness is not just talking about breaking rules uh, in whatever sense you might think. It's something much deeper. And there are a couple of ways that we'll talk about sin at Red City. You'll hear it in different things. Um, But one of the fundamental verses that we often go back to is from Romans 1. And it's verse 25. It says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than creator, who is ever who is forever praised. 
And this is because at the heart of it, we don't think that sin is about breaking rules. It often results in breaking different things or um, not following through on things or not living the way that you might know you're supposed to. But the, at the end of the day, sin is actually about worship. It's about failing to acknowledge that God is the only one who deserves our worship and instead choosing to put other things, created things, things on this earth of this earthly kingdom above God, who is the one who should be being praised. And if you actually think about the Lord's Prayer, there's an interesting way that it's laid out that helps you kind of see God's intent and design uh, of how we are to worship him and see him as the source of life above all other things. Right? So the prayer actually starts out with worship of God. Right? We call him hallowed. We call him father. We see these amazing qualities about him and we lift them up. And then as you move on, it sees that we're putting God's ways, right? We're saying your kingdom, your will, have that be what's being done on earth, not mine, right? I'm going to worship you and your ways and what you desire more than what I want for myself. And then after that, it talks about relying on God for our daily needs. And again, worshiping him, choosing him as the source of life over worshiping created things and other things in our life that we might be drawn towards. And then because of that, because that's an extremely high calling to always live out God's kingdom, to always trust and to rely on him, to always see him as our source of life, it's almost as if Jesus knows that we're not going to live up to that, and he builds it right into the prayer to ask for forgiveness. We'll always have the tendency to think that our ways are better. We'll always have the tendency to rely on ourselves and on other things way more than we rely on God. We'll trade the truth of God's holiness and trustworthiness for the lie that we can have it all on our own, that we don't need God. We worship ourselves and our freedoms and our own timelines above worshiping God. And because of that, that's why we're instructed to ask for forgiveness. And now I know that the idea of worshiping God above other things is maybe a little more abstract than like, here's a list of things to follow. Don't take the cookie from the cookie jar. Uh, especially because we're not physically bowing down to idols, right? When I talk about worship, we're not like constructing a statue and standing in front of it. It's something that goes on in our hearts. And so I think it requires us when we reach this part of the prayer to actually slow down, to take time to think about our choices, our motivations, and the heart behind our actions. So if you're using this prayer as a template, which is what something we've been talking about, take time to slow down when you reach this part. Ask yourself, what have I been worshiping other than God? What has meant more to me than my relationship with God? What am I thinking about all the time? What's motivating my actions? And if that's still, you still feel kind of stuck after that, just ask God to bring something to mind, right? Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you and, and just ask for one thing, right? You can repent for more than one thing if you want, but if you're starting out and you're kind of stuck, just say, okay, God, what's one thing, one way that I've been worshiping something other than you this week? Uh, and then when you, when you hear that, when you listen to the Holy Spirit and you feel that nudge, just repent of it. Say, okay, I see these ways that I'm turning and I'm worshiping something other than you, and I'm going to choose to turn away from that and recommit to following you, Lord, as uh, my number one thing of worship. And I found that when you do this, when you actually take time to ask God, he is actually very merciful in uh, helping you to see these things, but also not in overwhelming you. And so if you can just ask, what's one way, Lord, what's one way that I can hear from you and see the ways that I haven't been worshiping you and that I should turn and to seek you instead? And really, 
again, you can repent for more than one thing, but the one thing helps you to not hopefully feel so overwhelmed and so guilty that you kind of get stuck there, if anyone's ever experienced that. Because the idea of this prayer is not to help you just think like, wow, you're a terrible person. Look at all of these ways that you've screwed up. It's just to remind us and to help us to change our ways of worshiping created things and turn them towards God. So if you are feeling guilty or you're getting hung up on that, just remember to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to accept your grace and I want to turn and to follow you. So as we've been going through, we've been kind of adding in our own little bits of example prayers, so to speak. And so for this one, I just said, Lord, help me to recognize when I'm worshiping something other than you. Help me to turn away from idols, to confess, and to receive your grace. Okay, so as I said, the next part of this prayer is kind of where some people can get a little hung up with this fourth petition. It's a question that when you read it, especially in the context of the Matthew 6 passage, uh, it can really raise the question of, is my forgiveness conditional on me forgiving other people? So if you think about the way that it's worded, it says, forgive us our debts as we also have. So it kind of implies this, like, they happen at the same time. They're, they're in, uh, connected to one another. And so, again, that asks the question, how does this work? Do they have to happen at the same time? Does one come before the other? Is one conditional on the other? And if you read the rest of the passage um, here in Matthew, you'll see that it gets even a little more... Uh, questionable or it makes you question things even more so after the lord's prayer immediately after it's done the next verse says for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses so jesus is not messing around right this uh, those verses kind of make you squirm a little bit right it's uncomfortable to to hear that and to think what does that mean what does that look like and again, as with a lot of these things in the Lord's Prayer, it's like as if Jesus knew that we would have questions about it. And there are other people in Scripture who also had questions. So if you go, uh, if you continue on in this book of Matthew that kind of shares some of the, the stories of the life of Jesus, there's a story where one of his disciples, whose name is Peter, comes to him and asks him a question. And in the result, Jesus tells a story that kind of helps us get at this question of how does our forgiving others relate to God forgiving us? So the disciple who comes to Jesus, is his name is Peter, and if you read through the book, uh, the New Testament, where you can kind of see the disciples' stories as they interact with Jesus, Peter is one of my favorite people to watch because pretty much every time he opens his mouth, he sticks his foot directly in it. <laughs> every time he says something, uh, he kind of creates a problem for himself, and yet Jesus still loves him and gives him a lot of great work to do in his kingdom. Uh, so that's always encouraging to me when you see flawed people who God still continues to work through. So Peter does that in this. He, he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And here, Peter actually thinks he's being really generous because the like acceptable practice at the time that was taught by most uh, of the Jewish teachers was that you were to give up to three times. So Peter's like, hey, Jesus, look, I'm going to be really generous, and I'm going to ask, like, is it seven? Because that's what I've been doing, because I've been going above and beyond. Uh, and instead, Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or some people actually think he's more saying, like, seven times 70 times. Basically, he probably meant unlimited number of times. He was kind of trying to be a little bit uh, hyperbolic and saying, no, you should give as many times as you forgive as many times as you can 
So then he goes on and he tells the story. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Okay, so when I read this parable, I actually had to do some math, which, if you know me, is not my strong suit. So I really had to think about this. Um, but I did some research and I did some math to figure out how, what were these numbers, what would they be like in a present-day situation? I don't know what 10,000 bags of gold is worth. So we looked into it a little bit. It sounds like one bag of gold was about 20 years of wages. So think about your yearly salary Multiply, multiply that by 20. That's how much one bag of gold was. And this guy owed 10,000 bags of gold. I don't even know how would anybody like racks up a debt that big. Like, what are you buying with all of this, uh, this, these bags of gold? Okay, so I did the math. Let's say that this guy was like a, an hourly wage guy, right? And you were getting $10 an hour and working 40 hours a week. Then you're getting $20,800 a year. So then I multiplied that to see how much this debt actually would have been. And I don't even know what this number means. <laughs> it has letters in it. You guys, this is when I decided I was done with math. I can't do math that has letters. It, that doesn't work for me. Uh, so 200,000 years of wages, which is what he would have owed, is 4.16E9? I think it's like a billion or like times, of, I don't know. You, 10 to the ninth power. Okay, here we go. I knew there'd be someone who could help me understand this. Uh, that's a lot of money. That's a crazy amount of money to owe a debt that big, right? Okay, so keep that in mind. Hold that number in your head. And at this, the servant, when the, when the king says, you're going to have to sell everything you have to pay this debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him and he said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt and let him go. This is crazy. He canceled that much money of a debt uh, and just let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. So again, I did a little bit of math and a hundred silver coins would have been about a hundred days of work. So if I use the same amount of money and equations that I used for the first number, he is grabbing this guy and choking him and demanding that he would pay him back $8,000. So he just got 4.16 times, what was it, 10, 9 to the, 4.16 billion dollars. He just had all of that canceled. That debt was just removed. He didn't do anything. And then he turned around and started choking a guy out over $8,000. So this fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. He said the same thing that the servant said to the king. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had it on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
So usually when Jesus tells a story or tells a parable, it's a little bit less straightforward. He's a little more coy in how he tells it, right? There's kind of a little bit of uncertainty about like, does he really mean what he just said? We're not entirely sure, but not in this one. This parable is straightforward. It gets straight to the point. And the point is that our debt to God is massive. It is $4.16 billion. It's, it's bigger than that. And we can never repay it on our own. That part's pretty clear, right? This guy's never going to be able to pay off that much money. If it's 200,000 years of, of working, he's not going to be able to pay that off. And yet, God chooses to forgive us. There's no way we could have paid it off on our own. There's no way that we could have made up for it. No matter how many people we forgave, right? If we're going to, if someone's asking the question like, well, is my forgiveness from God conditional on me forgiving other people? I don't care how many other people you forgive. You could forgive everybody else in the world. That's not going to make up for a debt that big. This parable makes it very clear. We cannot pay off the debt that we owe God on our own. And that's where Jesus comes in. He pays the price for our sin when he dies on the cross. He pays off our debt for us, uh, even though we don't deserve it, and even though, in many cases, we haven't even really asked for it. And we're going to get more to that in a minute, but I want us to focus back in on that question of if our forgiveness is conditional on forgiveness of others. Because this parable uh, and the Lord's Prayer are not trying to to say that. They're not trying to say that God forgives you because you forgive other people. It's more making the point that if you're unwilling to forgive other people, you don't really get it, right? You have not gotten the point. You have not figured out the incredible debt that God has forgiven you from. Maybe you don't understand how crazy it is that God would be willing to forgive you. Maybe you don't understand how big your debt actually is. Or maybe you just don't get the sacrifice it took that made it uh, possible for God to forgive us. But if you're unwilling to forgive others around you, this is basically just pointing out you're missing the point of what's going on. This whole new kingdom that God's creating, it's all hinges on the fact that we were forgiven through Christ's sacrifice. And so if you don't understand that and you're not willing to go and forgive others, it just points out that you don't even understand what kingdom we're in, right? It just goes to show that you're missing the big picture of what's happening. And so it is not a conditional situation. It's not that our forgiveness is conditional upon us forgiving others, but it just serves as a reminder to us that we're missing the point when we're unwilling to forgive others. Because the generosity that has been shown to us should encourage us and make us want to be generous with other people. So the the sample prayer, example prayer I put here is just, Father, I confess that I try to earn my own forgiveness. Remind me of the gift that you've given me through Christ's sacrifice and help me to rely on Christ's work and not my own. Because when we truly are relying on Christ's forgiveness and Christ's work, then we understand what it means to go out and forgive others as well. And yet, I'm guessing that we're still going to struggle with this, right? Forgiveness is not an easy thing. Uh, So I want to talk about some of the reasons that we tend to struggle with forgiving others, even when we get that we've been forgiven, even when we understand the huge debt that we've been Uh, that has been canceled for us. So I'm going to start with the one that I think is sometimes the easiest, uh, and it's just that we don't feel like it, right? We can fall into the trap that says that we're governed by our feelings, that however we feel, then that must therefore be true, and we must act out of our feelings. So if Joel does something to hurt my feelings, even if he apologizes, 
but I don't feel warm and fuzzy towards him, or I don't feel like, oh yeah, now I'm like super excited to, to hang out with you, then it, no, oh, I'm just not going to forgive because I have to be authentic, and if I'm not feeling it, then I can't do it, right? And I know it sounds like, okay, it's a little exaggerated, but I think that's honestly sometimes what we think, even if we're unwilling to actually recognize it and point it out in ourselves. And our, our, we need to remember that while our feelings are good, right, they're not bad, they can help us realize when there is conflict and when we need to work through it, even though we don't like to, right, our Midwest apologies, our feelings can kind of bring that up and make us work through it, but they're not always reliable indicators on whether or not we should be forgiving. Because Jesus has already called us to forgive. He didn't say, if you feel like it, then you should forgive others. But if you don't, just, you know, don't worry about it. And I'm pretty sure that God didn't suddenly get warm, fuzzy feelings towards us when he uh, decided to forgive us, right? He forgave us in spite of the fact that we were still actively sinning against him at the time. I don't think he was feeling super warm and fuzzy. And yet he loved us and he knew that he could uh, make a way for us to be in relationship with him again through forgiveness and through Christ. So he sent Jesus to offer us forgiveness while we were still sinners. And therefore, we can do the same for others. Because forgiveness is not just a feeling, it's a choice. And it's not always the easy choice to make, but it's the choice that God has called us to. And it's a way that we can live out the love that God has shown to us. And sometimes it's a choice that you have to make more than once. I think sometimes we can think, okay, if I I make the decision today, I'm going to forgive this person for what they've done to me. And then tomorrow I wake up and I don't feel like I've forgiven them. Maybe some anger or some bitterness comes up again because of something they say or do. You may have to make the choice again. Okay, today I am going to choose to forgive them. We talk about love that way in a lot of different settings, right? When we talk about marriage, we talk about like, you don't just wake up every day and be like, oh man, I just, I have so much love and so much excitement about this person. Maybe you do some days, but some days you might wake up and think, okay, I'm going to make the choice to love this person, even though it's hard, even though I don't always feel that way. And I think forgiveness can be the same. We have to make the choice to forgive others. And at the same time, I want to give a word of clarification on the idea that we're always called to forgive others. Uh, I think it speaks to another reason that we don't always like to forgive, and that's this idea that we sometimes combine the ideas of forgiveness and reconciliation. So we think that if you forgive someone, that automatically means that you're reconciled with them. And those two things often go together, and they should. That A lot of the times, forgiveness should lead to reconciliation. But there is a difference between the two. Forgiveness is something that you choose, right? You choose to no longer carry the anger or hurt that's been caused by another person, and instead you give that burden to God. It's something that you do, and it has honestly more to do with you and your relationship with God than it does with you and the other person. Whereas reconciliation is about the relationship with the person who hurt you. It's about rebuilding trust and restoring the relationship. So again, it's more about the relationship with you and the other person. So you can have forgiveness without reconciliation. And in some certain cases, you should. I think these cases are probably more in the minority of the times that you have been hurt, but I want to make it clear that in the situations of abuse or unhealth, you can forgive people without moving towards them for reconciliation. And I know that sometimes it's tricky to know if you're in a situation like that. And so uh, I want you to know that I'm always happy to talk to you if you're in a, a situation that you're unsure about, about whether you should be moving back towards reconciliation with someone. 
Uh, but I just want to make it clear that the call to always forgive does not necessarily mean, you, it definitely doesn't mean you should put yourself back in an unhealthy situation. It doesn't mean that the offending person doesn't need some kind of accountability uh, to make sure it doesn't happen again. It doesn't mean that you automatically need to be back restored relationally. And I just want to make that kind of point of clarification because I think sometimes it's a point that Christians fail to make. Uh, and I think that it's important just to, to put it out there so that you can think about this call to always forgive doesn't mean that God's calling me to be in an unhealthy situation. And I think this idea of accountability is probably one of the biggest reasons we struggle to forgive. So this last reason is probably the biggest one uh, that I feel like I struggle with and I see others struggling with too. And that's the idea that um, forgiveness means you're letting somebody off the hook, right? We're afraid that if we forgive, then that means that what happened wasn't a problem. It wasn't bad. It didn't hurt anybody. Uh, it, It wasn't wrong in what they did. And I think this can be true in small things, right? A sarcastic comment that someone made about you at work or an unkind response that your spouse or your roommate gave you in the middle of an argument. And I think it can especially be true with bigger offenses. Offenses that have seriously hurt us or left us with lasting consequences or trauma. In these situations, we don't want to offer forgiveness because we don't want to lessen what happened to us or how serious the offense was. And I think that this is because somewhere along the way, we started to separate forgiveness from justice. We separated mercy and justice, and I think that's a big problem. And one person who I think has done a great job talking about this uh, is Rachel Den Hollander. So she was the first gymnast to come forward and to accuse Larry Nasser, who's the former doctor of the USA gymnastic national team. And she came forward and accused him of sexual abuse, and then many others came forward as well. You may have remember hearing about this. It was just a few years ago. And in 2018, she made a statement at the trial that many people watched or read. It kind of got circulated on the internet. And if you read the whole statement, throughout it, Den Hollander makes many calls for justice. In fact, she calls for the longest sentence possible for Nasser, and she speaks of her faith and how that actually impacts her view of how justice should happen. In the statement, she also talks about forgiveness, and she offers her forgiveness for him uh, and hopes that he finds forgiveness from God. And many Christians actually narrowed in on this part of the statement and praised her for her willingness to forgive, which I think is true. It's an amazing thing to see. But a few weeks later, she was interviewed by Christianity Today uh, in an article that was titled, My Larry Nasser Testimony Went Viral, But There's More to the Gospel Than Forgiveness. And in it, she says, I found it very interesting, to be honest, that every single Christian publication or speaker that has mentioned my statement has only ever focused on the aspect of forgiveness. Very few, if any of them, have recognized what else came with that statement, which was a swift and intentional pursuit of God's justice. Both of these, both forgiveness and justice, are biblical concepts. Both of these represent Christ. We do not do well when we focus on only one of them. I think she makes an incredible point here because justice and forgiveness need to be kept together. They are two sides of the same coin. Because without justice, forgiveness becomes cheap. It becomes something that's similar to just letting people off the hook. But in truth, forgiveness is, in its truest sense, is actually incredibly costly. Because God is not only a God of mercy, but also a God of justice. So in order for God to forgive our sins, somebody else had to take the punishment for it. There were no Midwest apologies here, right? We did not just pretend nothing happened and move on. 
There had to be justice in order for there to be mercy. And Romans 3 explains how Jesus does both, how he enacts justice and offers mercy. So I'm going to read part of it. It says, Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So Christ becomes the sacrifice of atonement, the sacrifice to make things right, uh, to bring us back into relationship with God, because there had been all the sin that had previously been committed, and there had all the sin that would come after that would need to be dealt with. It couldn't be swept under the rug. And Romans 3 goes on to say, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So God is both just, that's part of his character, it's part of who he is, but he's also the justifier. We need to sit with that for just a second and think about what that means. God is just. He can't let sin go undealt with. He can't deal with injustice, and he doesn't let people off the hook. And yet he made a way to have us be justified, and he did it himself. Right? He was willing to, as the parable said, cancel the debt against us because he was willing to come and pay the price for us. He was willing to come and take on the injustice for all of the ways that I have sinned, for all of the ways that you have sinned, and for all of the ways that the people who have hurt you have sinned. doesn't matter who you are. When you believe in Jesus, he justifies you even though you don't deserve it. So when we forgive others, we aren't just letting people off the hook. Jesus is already on the hook for them. He not only took our debt, but he took theirs too, and he took care of it completely. So when we, we forgive others, we aren't letting them off the hook, but we're taking it out of our hands, right? We're taking the justice that we might feel the need to enact, the reason why we might be holding back our forgiveness, and he's putting it in Jesus' hands and saying, it's us putting it in Jesus' hands and saying that we trust that God's sacrifice made a way for us to forgive others in the way that it made a way for God to forgive us. We're letting God be the one who decides how justice will play out, and we're saying, I'm not going to try to enact it on my own. I'm going to let this go out of my hands. Because we are right to say that forgiveness can't happen without justice, but that justice is taken care of in Christ, not by us. And as a result of that, every time we forgive somebody, it should be a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could be forgiven. His sacrifice gives us the freedom to forgive others, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't think the other person deserves it, because at the end of the day, we didn't deserve it either. We all deserve justice, but Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself so that God could be both just and justifier. And because of his great love and generosity towards us, we can now turn around and show the same to others. So as our sample prayer for this part, I just said, help me to forgive others the way you have forgiven me and to leave justice in your hands instead of trying to take it into my own. So we're going to move to a time of response as we do every week. Uh, and one of those ways that we respond to hearing God's word is through communion. And last week we talked a little bit about what the bread in communion meant and how it reminded us that Jesus is our daily bread. And this week I want you to think a little bit about the, uh, the grape juice that we're going to be having where some people have wine. But... Uh, to think about that part of it and to not just go through the motion of taking something and kind of walking through it, but to really think about it, this represents Jesus' blood shed for us, the justice for our sins so that we could be made right with God. So when you come up here and take it, I just want you to consider the sacrifice, right? 
think about the ways that God was willing to make an incredible sacrifice to have our debt canceled. So just take the time today while we're worshiping to consider the sacrifice, to confess and to repent, to turn to God. And then also as a part of that, consider who you might need to forgive. Is there something in your life that you've been kind of uh, maybe pushing down in the Midwest way and saying, yeah, I, I feel hurt by that, but, or I'm, I'm maybe holding on to some bitterness or anger towards that person, but if I just let it go for long enough, I just won't have to deal with it, right? It'll just go away, and I can pretend like it's not happening. But this prayer and Jesus' sacrifice demands that we take stock of that, that we think about who those people might be in our life and how we can um, be spurred on by the generosity of Christ to forgive them as well. So as we, say, as bef- we come up here to do communion and as we worship through song, uh, I just want you to consider that. Ask God to help you take the next step towards whoever it is that you might feel like you need to forgive. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up here, and we're going to uh, sing a few songs. We're going to take communion. Uh, anybody is welcome to take communion as long as they're a follower of Jesus. Uh, and then one of the other things we do during this time is uh, offer prayer. So there will be someone in the back who will have a little name tag on. And if you have anything at all that you want prayer for, we'd encourage you to go and talk with them uh, so that you can get prayed for. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to move into that time of response. Father, we confess that we are guilty of worshiping things other than you every day. We look to created things for our source of life instead of relying on you, our creator. Help us to receive your grace and to turn to you and you alone. Thank you for your sacrifice and for making a way for us to be in relationship with you again. Help us to never forget your generosity in forgiving us. And please give us a heart to forgive others. In your name we pray. Amen.